it creates the wrong mentality, right? Um, like I can't even go talk to one of my team members or collaborate without like putting together a pitch about how they can bill for this. You know, it's like I had this one problem. I knew a team member could fix it for me. And, and he, you know, he gave me an answer. And then two minutes after I got back to my desk, he's like, Hey, I need to know which project code I can build that. Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. So it is Friday. It is Friday. End of the week. You're lucky because I normally don't have set appointments on Friday. <laughs> well, I was hoping you would fit me in. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I do the same thing too. I try to keep my Fridays as free as possible. Yeah, it's nice. It's just looking forward to that knowing you're going to have a day free of meetings. It's just, I, I wake up with a different level of energy on those days, you know? So, yes, I mean, look, you know, there are, there are meetings that are critically important and we have meetings that I, I think are very focused and we, we create a lot of value in, but there's also a lot of meetings. It's like, I don't know that I really need to be here, you know? And I look at my calendar. Ooh. Yeah, that's a new thing too. I just happened to caught like one of my eye. So let's check um, it out. Feels like my gain is super high. Or is it okay? Um. So yeah, on on I, I've done a good job of trying to pare back meetings. It I would say maybe three or four months ago, I was at this paralyzed place where I would look at my calendar either the night before or early in the morning. I'd be like, uh can't do it <laughs> it's just too much but um i've been able to pare it back um to you know two hours a day two or three hours a day which is is doable when it was like four or five hours a day of meetings and i needed to do work and focus time on top of it was just too much so having this day free on friday is is awesome i really look it, forward to it it is and i i really try to block out thursday afternoons and an all day Friday. Nice. Um, because then like for, what I found is, is having that free Thursday afternoon kind of sets me up for the free Friday. Yeah. Because I typically do one of three things on, on Fridays, one, either just content creation. So editing the most recent podcast we've recorded, um, trying to come up with other ideas, um, you know, messing around with things to see what else we can do. Um, developing the next set of themes we want to talk about for, for, for the podcast. I usually spend Friday doing that. I'll just be hacking around. So it, it's one of those ways where it, it, it gives me that time to be able to bring ideas to clients, seeing what's the latest out there. Are there newer methodologies that we can, we can discuss with clients? Are there, there are ways? And I have fact, actually, that's what I've been doing today is coming up with a proposal to do some massive refactoring for a client, you know, just because things that we, that, that are just 
have been core to their data collection for five, six years. They've just kind of sat back there and newer things have come up, but they haven't been like the front of mind, like, hey, there's a new version of this or there's a new way of doing it. Yeah. And, and there's newer, not just newer ways, but better ways of doing it. So there's multiple advantages of it. So spending today, just digging into that, not have to worry about jumping on a call for this or doing that or, or even just deliverables. Like yeah. really, like I try to get all that stuff done by Thursday. So then Fridays are free and clear. Yeah. And then other times it's just like take the laptop or the iPad somewhere and just go and kind of clear the mind to come up with just new ideas in general. Yeah. And it, it's so critically important for us to have that. And and I've, I've been trying to get in the habit, especially as the weather's finally starting to warm up of walking outside and just in the afternoon going and wandering. Friday, I've tried to leave pretty unscheduled like you. I do content creation. So I publish up my personal newsletter on Fridays. I think about content and especially as um, COVID is, I don't know what the state of it is, but it feels like we're we're at least trying to re-engage with each other. Um, I've been trying to schedule lunches, which I have a late lunch today, which I'm going to do and just kind of connect and hang out with people. And um, that Friday time is proving to be incredibly, incredibly valuable. So super happy that I uh, finally made this happen. Yeah. And honestly, like I, I th- there is also sometimes the Fridays where I just cut out early on Friday. Afternoon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I go and start working on a project or, you know, something else around the house and just shut down and, and just why, be done. And why not? Yeah. Like if there's nothing else to do, I'm not going to create work to do. <laughs> well, there's always something to do, but well, but you, you know what I mean. Yourself, yeah, force yeah. yourself into like if it's forced, we're not going to do our best work. So if it's not there, it's not there, right? Yeah. And 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 actually, the you know kind of thinking about re redesigning work and how we think about work, it's something that I hope companies realize the, there's massive value to. Y- you know what I'm saying? Because. Mm-hmm. We, we, we try to tie things to, well, if I'm not sitting at a desk and hammering away on my keyboard or in a conference call or, you know, leading, then we're not working. But the reality is, is that a lot of what we do is work. And even a lot of what we do on personal time is work. So exercise, um, mental health awareness and, you know, meditation and yoga and reading and all of that has an impact on work. You know, just think mm-hmm. about a professional athlete. You know, a lot of what they do isn't formally at training with the team, but they're working out on their own. They, you know, there's a nutrition program. There's, you know, they're studying game film. None of that is forced by the company, but it's still quote work, right? It still yeah. is leading to them being a more valuable, productive player. And the same with us. Like if I'm out wandering around in the hills or I'm reading a book or I'm, you know, reading a magazine or going to lunch with somebody that's all work that all creates more value for me and the company. And, and I think that companies that realize that are going to be onto something really amazing here in the next decade. Yeah. And this, this isn't necessarily the topic I had planned today, but I'm half tempted to, to take <laughs> a detour and go, go down this route with you. Well, it's your show. So <laughs> it's our show. Yeah. Um, but you're the you're the executive producer. <laughs> I like that title. Yeah. Um, because yeah, like it's I I don't know. I guess maybe you could call me naive. Um 
and I, I, I over the last couple of years i've really sat back and tried to do some thinking and reflection on it and and asking why like why is only work thought to be done when you're in the office when mm-hmm. you're at a desk when you're typing on a keyboard um and i i mean i i i've been thinking about this for 15 years you know, I, like the, this one company I was working for early in my career, you know, it was, you know, it was in the days where everyone was just starting to get laptops. You know, you were starting to see companies move away. And actually, this is actually, it's, it's approaching 20 years at this point, believe it or not. I can't believe the time has flown by that fast, but it's, it's, it's get, it was getting to the point where people, you know, companies were moving away, having a desktop at your, your, um, your, your cubicle and everybody getting a laptop. Because prior to that, not everybody got laptops. You know, only the only those that could really argue for it got it. So, you know, I had a laptop for work. And, yeah, I, I, I'd be at home some nights. Like, oh, I'd have an idea and I'd start writing it down. And But, like, it was seen like if I was at the I could spend 45 minutes doing that that night. But then as I showed up at the office at 9.10, then it's the, what are you doing, slacker? And I'm like, but, but wait a second. Like, That's right. Mr. Yeah. And I, and, and it did, like, I would ask, I would ask those questions and everyone just kind of put it off as, as, Oh, you naive college graduate. <laughs> you'll learn. You'll figure it out. You'll, you'll, you'll yeah. play the game. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it, and it wasn't even necessarily playing the game. It was people really thought that like work was created in the office. Right. You know, I, 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 it doesn't matter how much time you spend at home doing stuff if I can't see you here in, in the office. Yeah. And I think, you know, not that we necessarily want to turn this into a remote work discussion, but I, I, I think that that's where so many of these conversations around how we're going to design work, you know, as we quote, go back into the office are so, so misguided because everyone wants to have the conversation of, well, you can't connect with people remotely. Well, you can't, you can't collaborate remotely. You can't be creative remotely. And, and really, I think that that is missing the, the argument of, well, what is the office good for? And we use that as a um, resource, but work isn't tethered to an office. And unless you're buying into the belief that work is sitting at a desk, typing on a keyboard or sitting in a conference room, then there are some things that being in person in a location are uh, highly valuable. But if we're unless we're calling that all of work, it's such a misguided discussion because to your point, like work could be, I could be in the shower thinking about work and that's work. You know, I could be sitting out on my back deck reading a, just a random book and that is work because that is adding to the value that I'm creating. And, but again, you know, if, if we're just thinking short term, getting tasks done, did I hit my quarterly marks? Did I, you know, do A, B and C? companies aren't going to buy into it, right? It's like, well, I don't care that you're like becoming smarter and stronger and a better athlete. All I care about is, did you do these tasks that if you didn't get done, I'm going to get yelled at from my boss because you didn't, you know, back to our previous discussion, the optics of things, like how much of it is optics versus actually creating incredibly smart, strong, talented employees. But I guess it's hard to do that, especially as we're coming off kind of this quote, what do we call it? The great resignation, the the migration of, of workers, 
you know, I think I think the time frame that's been thrown around in the digital analytics space is something like 18 to 24 months is the average tenure. So if an employee isn't staying that long at a company, do I as a company want care or invest, want to invest in making you an amazing superstar because you're just going to leave? I don't know, but maybe it's a chicken and egg thing. Maybe if we do start investing in those type of things, the tenure goes from two years to four years. I don't know. I would, I would, I would take that bet though. I mean, maybe we covered the whole topic in 13 minutes here and this is going to be our quickest episode. Yeah. <laughs> because it is, it's, it, it's one of these things where for me, the answer is, is so obvious. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I question why people either don't see it or don't acknowledge it. Yeah. Because like, and, and I, I don't know, like I'm, I'm trying to form like a, an actual cohesive thought here because I do for me. And maybe it's me being a little over, overly optimistic, how maybe having faith in people, because I think part of this too is, is, it's easy to talk from the perspective of a small company mm-hmm. um, where it, it's easier to, to organize a team to, I don't want to say manage because at times that's often seen as a pejorative, um, but lead a team. That's probably the better word to use. It, it, it can be easier. And well, maybe, yeah, go ahead. Finish your. Well, thing. I was gonna say it can be easier, but I also think like those that would take advantage of the situation of trying to, um, you know, take advantage of not needing to punch a time clock and have a timesheet that's down to every fifteen minutes, like at that level of granularity, and having people checking up to make sure you're hunched over your keyboard typing, people who take advantage of that are quickly found out. They're, yeah. they're 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 quickly found out, and either they're they kind of feel the pressure to leave themselves, or it's 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 easier to usher them out because when you have a small team, no one can can slack off. Yeah, and yeah, there's nowhere to hide. Yeah, there's there's nowhere, nowhere to hide. hide. But like, you can't have someone that's just coasting when you have a small team, and. Yeah. Now, granted, people can try to twist that and say, like, oh, you're, you're, what you're actually saying is is being hunched over your keyboard, pounding away at a keyboard for 60 hours a week. Not necessarily, but, like, if, what I think of in a setup like this is, is yeah, there's, there's times of sprinting. There's times of just lightly jogging. Mm-hmm. But there, you're not coasting in either of those paces. You're moving. And I do believe in, in a smaller environment, a smaller team, people who are just there to coast people that have coasted maybe their entire career, they move from one place to another and we've all run into them. We all know who I'm talking about. They get found out very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> so a, a couple things that I was thinking about as you were talking. So number one, yes, I, I think it's important to recognize that the things that we talk about and the ideals and how we think about structuring and running a business is, is coming from a very unique lens. And, and early on, it was difficult for me to accept that I kind of gave a blasted, well, this is how you do it. And it's completely unfair. 
uh, because I, I, I absolutely understand and appreciate the challenges of doing it at different scale and in different industries and different business types. I, I completely get that. So I don't want what we talk about to come off as, oh, you know, here's the blueprint. You just replicate. No, I, I get that it, it's extremely complicated. But still, at its core, I think that you can choose to accept um, some basic tenets of doing business and how you treat employees. The challenge is then how to figure out how to do that. It may be, quote, easier to do it at a small company and harder to do it at a big company. But if you're accepting those kind of key beliefs about what your vision is for running a business, you should be able to figure it out either way. It may not be the same way, and it may be more difficult in one versus the other, but it's all doable. The The second thing that I was thinking about is, let's let's explore this a little more, that, quote, it's easier to do it at a, quote, smaller company. How would you define, what if you, if you hear small business, what does that mean to you? How would we know that a business is a small business? Is it revenue? Is it number of employees? Is it number of customers? What, what makes a business small? Um, really for me, the, the idea of a small business is, is employee size. Um, because you could have a small business that depending upon the product, the service, it could be a small, pro- uh, it could be a small company that has say an elite level service, mm-hmm. high end service revenue then could put it up there with say medium to, to large size company. So I, I really do. When I think of small businesses, I, I think of number of employees okay. as the, as the primary driver. <clears throat> I mean, not that we can pinpoint it, but just ballpark. What, what would you think, what would you say is kind of the tipping point that goes from small to medium? Like what, what number of employees does that look like? 75 to hundred. Okay. And I'm, and I'm leading you into this for a, for a reason in that, um, if, if we, if we're kind of saying, and let, let's kind of stay on this thread that, you know, maybe taking a more humanistic approach to doing business, maybe trusting our team more. So we've got a new distraction. I have, um, as, as I distracted and I hope I can come back to my point, I've got this little lollipop pine tree sitting outside my office and a finch has built a nest in it and has babies. And so the, it's going back and forth and it's driving my dog crazy because the dog is like literally about a foot from the tree on the other side of the window, just watching the birds fly, flying and out of the nest. Um, so if we, if we're saying that at a smaller size, let's say less than 75 employees, that it's easier to be more humanistic, maybe have more trust. Maybe we get away from this idea of like micromanagement and timesheets and we give you autonomy. And if, you know, you want to take Fridays off, that's your call. And if you want to go, you know, walk around in the trees in the afternoon, that's your call. And maybe we can't do that at a big business. So, you know, maybe like this great resignation and all these things that we saw happening were only pertaining to big businesses. However, I don't know that that is true. And the reason I say that is that, um, you you know, I know you and I have talked with one agency um, specifically, but I've been watching this play out on LinkedIn and other social networks of other agencies in the analytics or marketing space, agencies that are, are similar or close to what we do that are definitely less than 75 employees that have been fairly transparent in getting absolutely hammered by the Great Recession, losing up to 60 to 70% of their staff over the last two years. So 
you know, while we say, you know, treating these things or, you know, being more humanistic may be easier on a small scale, that that may be true. Um, but if that was true, I don't know that we would necessarily be seeing such large turnover in these, quote, small companies that we've seen over the the last two years. There Now, there may be something else there to, to dictate why that is happening, but I would have been under the, I would have gone into it with the assumption of if these companies really were taking a very strong humanistic approach where, again, you know, the no timesheets, the no micromanagement, the autonomy, getting paid decent, you know, why would I ever leave that and go to somewhere else that would be worse than that? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it, when I said easier, you know, it, it's, it doesn't mean, I, I think this is where intentionality comes in. That, that's what I'm trying to say is, is while I do believe it gets harder to do the larger the company, because sometimes I think as companies grow, they fall into the trap of, we just need bodies to fulfill whatever's, whatever's coming our way. Like you, you get into that vicious cycle of, we need more work. So we hire more bodies. We've hired more bodies. So now we need more work. And, 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 and I'm talking that way intentionally, uh, dehumanizing yeah. it. And I was just going to pick up on that. But yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm saying that intentionally. Yeah. yeah. Um, and deliberately because that's what happens is, is then, you know, you lose the human factor and, and you just look at counts of employees and productivity levels. So you, you, the reason why I think it gets harder, the larger a company gets is because you ultimately have to manage to the, the, the lowest common denominator, but that's not to say a company that falls into that small bucket where I think, I believe it is easier to lead in this way doesn't mean companies either intentionally do it. Mm -hmm. You know, you may have yeah, someone who, who starts up a small agency of 45 people, but they've been maybe in the paid media, you know, agency world for 20 years. So they're just, they're just duplicating what they did at an agency that had 3000 people mm -hmm. with a group of 40. That's a really good point. And in fact, in fact, it reminds me of a conversation I had earlier this week. So one of the things I love the most about what I do is that for some reason I've, I, it, it must feel very safe talking to me about starting a services company because I think once a week I talk to someone that reaches out saying, Hey, I'm thinking about starting up a company. Can I pick your brain? Um, and I talked to a gentleman in California this week. And one of the topics that we, we talked about was hiring and um, the, the belief um, that you sell, then you hire and, and, and I think it was something around like, what's the lead time? How long does it take for you to identify, hire, onboard? And do you do that day one that you sell a deal or like, you know, two days after you sell it? Like, what is your timing? I'm like, I don't, why don't, we don't do any of that. That's a shitty way to do it because that's a very inhumane way of doing it that you, you sell a deal, then you scramble and hire someone and throw them in. And they're just like a, you know, another resource in the, in the line to do the work. I'm like, we don't, we don't work like that. We, we constantly evaluate our workload, our sales pipeline, and we hire ahead of our need. So when I hire, we don't have a direct need for it, but coming down the line, maybe in a month or two, I'm going to sell a deal that's going to help support that, that new hire. That's a more humanistic way about doing business. But to your point, that's not how hiring and staffing is done at the services level, at least not any company that I have ever worked for. 
every agency that I ever worked for, the salesperson would sell a deal. They would say, hey, we sold a deal. Then you would see HR or management scramble as fast as they can to go find a hire because we're kicking off the project in two weeks and we need to hire someone to run the project. That's a really crappy way of doing business. It's a horrible experience. But if you do humanize it and it's just about resources, then you don't even think about it. You don't even think about that being a bad experience for the employee or the client or the company for that matter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I want to say like every services company I've ever been a part of does that reactionary hiring. You know, we're, we're in a bind, so we need to hire. And again, we need, we need people. We need someone to do this work. So it's here's five candidates, pick the best one you think we, we you know, in, in this group. And, you know, you've got two weeks to, to interview, evaluate, and, you know, come up with, with, with the, the, the candidate you want. And do you know what that primarily comes down to? Why we, why they do that? It's the, it's the short-term thinking. It's the, we have to maximize our profit margin and revenues this quarter. That's why they do it. Because if you hire ahead of need, like the, the, the terminology in consulting is the bench or the beach or whatever you want to call it. It's like, we can't have people sitting on the bench. Meaning if, if you're employed, you're in the game. If it's a 40 minute game, you're playing all 40 minutes. We can't have you sitting on the bench because if you sit on the bench, you're not valuable to me. You're not, you're not, you're not generating any revenue for me. And so if I hire ahead of needs and sit you on the bench under the traditional way of thinking, you're not valuable to me. So why would I ever hire for you? But this goes back to how we started off the conversation. If all you look at is typing on the keyboard, billing the hour right now as value, then sure, I can completely accept that that is not valuable. But if I look at the totality of what you do as an employee, as creating value, it may not have a direct revenue line item this quarter, but I guarantee you it's going to come next quarter, the next quarter, the next quarter, the next year, the following year. But if, if we can't see beyond just this quarter, we're never going to make that decision because every decision we make is how can we maximize the numbers right now? Everything is right now. We'll figure out tomorrow later. So I know the primary answer is Wall Street. Yeah. But that aside, what are some other reasons for that? Um, inability to manage healthy cash flow is a huge one. Right. Okay. Because most services agencies are uh, living paycheck to paycheck. Okay. So when, when you live paycheck to paycheck, you don't have that flexibility to, you know, not. And that's why so many agencies, that number is 37, 38 billable hours a week is so high. It's that high because that's what they need to bill every week in order to remain profitable. And so that dictates a lot of the the decisions. Um, and so I think inability to maintain healthy cash flow and have retained earnings and savings plays a big part of that. Eventually you need to invest. And, and if you don't have the ability to do that, you're just squeezing as much out as you can. And the same is true on the employee side, because as, as an employee, again, these things that are not direct work, quote unquote, are an investment. You know, if you're if you're becoming smarter, if you're playing around with a new framework, if you're thinking like all of that, we can't directly build to the client, but that's investing in future growth generation. 
But if if I have to have you billable all the time, how do we do that? I'm I'm sure you saw this, but when I was an hourly consultant, there was a expectation that five hours a week we would work on non-billable projects that, you know, so again, we can keep up on latest industry trends, become smarter with the tools we're using. But I also had to bill 38 hours a week. So we, and on top of that, I had to had to attend meetings internal meetings that were not billable. So when am I going to do that five hours of like non, we weren't right. Like, so I think it's important to have all of these things in balance. And in order to do that, we have to have the financial ability to do that. And in order to have that financial ability, we have to think and structure our businesses for the long term and not just what can I do right now? And if we're living paycheck to paycheck, we need to evaluate that. You know, just as we would in our personal lives, if like I'm living paycheck to paycheck, I need to ask myself some questions. Am I living in a house I can't afford? Do I have too many cars? Am I paying for too many streaming services? Like, you know, there's there's got to be some decisions made so that we can get to a place where our our financials are in a healthy place where we can see beyond today. So stupid question to dig deeper. Um, what are some reasons that you've seen that drive agencies down down that path or prevent them from managing a healthy cash flow? So the biggest reason that I've seen is the inability to control growth. That that bar none has been the biggest reason because we think that if we get more and more deals, more and more monies, we're more and more profitable. No, we're just we're the same level of profitability or lack thereof, just at a bigger scale. And and so I think that you know, the the idea that a successful company, a company that's hot and trendy is a company that's growing 2x, 3x, 4x every year is just nonsense to me. To me, what is much more meaningful um, and valuable is controlled, steady growth. Um, and, and in order to get to a place of financial health, oftentimes that is what is required. In the agency space, especially in a hot market, and analytics continues to be an incredibly hot market, it's hard to say no to growth and business. Because if you just want to do all the things and get all the scraps and leftovers that you know Adobe would throw your way or being a Google Analytics partner would bring you, you can absolutely do that and you can grow wicked, wicked fast. But by doing so, you're putting your financial health uh, in jeopardy. And so if you're always chasing that next dollar and trying to double and triple, you may grow revenues from 1 million to 5 million, but I guarantee you that your profit margins are probably shrinking year over year. So, you know, you may bring in top more money. It's like, oh, well, we're bringing in 5 million a year. I'm like, yeah, but you're netting minus 250,000 a year. So, so what, you know, I'm more interested in how much profit you're making. Yeah, I mean, then it start, then it makes sense because that's where the vicious cycle starts, mm-hmm. and starting to to squeeze employees more and more. Yeah, it, and it becomes un, unsustainable. And I, again, I've seen this firsthand. You you have to start squeezing more and more. You have to put pressure on employees to bill more and more hours. Um, that puts consultants in very very um, precarious situations where. I don't think management is necessarily asking you to be unethical, but it sure feels like that at times, you know, it sure feels like they wouldn't mind it if you were, (laughs) they just don't want to get caught. Right. And they're not going to, they're not going to memorialize that in an email saying, Hey, fudge these numbers, but you feel that pressure. 
because in order to sustain that growth rate, which is unsustainable, to double as a business every year is absolutely 100% unsustainable. Well, I mean, there was one time I was told that like every conversation gets booked to a client. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you just had a 10 minute conversation, book, book 15 minutes to, to that job. Mm-hmm. Don't take phone calls from someone. Don't even just be nice and say, you know, someone coming over and saying, Hey, can, can I pick your brain about this? You know, you, you can't do that unless they make sure they share the project with you and you can touch that project. Yeah. Which yeah. to me, which to me is bothersome. It, it, it creates the, it creates the wrong mentality, right? Um, I'm not helping you unless I can that's make right. sure my time is allocated to it. That's right. And and I'm not going to name agencies, but I have friends at multiple agencies where we've had that conversation where they're like, dude, like I can't even go talk to one of my team members or collaborate without like putting together a pitch about how they can bill for this. You know, it's like, I had this one problem. I knew a team member could fix it for me. And, and he, you know, he gave me an answer. And then two minutes after I got back to my desk, He's like, Hey, I need to know which project code I can build that to, <laughs> you know? And it's like, I've been there, you know, it's, it's such a crappy way of thinking about it and doing business. But when that's your model and you have to squeeze all these hours out, that's what you end up doing. And it becomes not only unsustainable from a financial growth perspective, it becomes unsustainable from a uh, cultural perspective in that that continues to undercut the foundations of the culture And now all of a sudden, you may have had a really great small consultancy to start with that people actually loved working for. And now we're one and two years in and we can't control growth. And now everything is operationalized. I have the pressure to bill or fudge out more hours or fudge hours. You know, I'm, I'm asked to work 60 hours a week so I can get all this stuff done. It's this real cutthroat environment. Where do the good people go? Not there. They leave. And so, you know, ultimately what ends up happening is the businesses go on. But what happens? We went from this small business with a small team of hyper elite consultants who now quit because your culture sucks and you're replaced by people that are, you know, feel lucky to have a job, lack experience. Maybe it's a first time job. They don't know any better. So now all of a sudden you've gone from a small team of elite consultants to a bloated team of inexperienced consultants that you can keep continuing to build out because you're chasing that double, that double, that double experience goes down for employees. Experience absolutely goes down for clients because now I've gone from having the best to having mediocre to having completely inexperienced people. And it's a no win situation for everybody involved, except for the agency owners. They're trying to run the game as long as they can to squeeze out as much profit as they can to line their pockets. They're the only ones that win in that scenario. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I just thought of this, and I bet you this is what drives agencies to rebrand every two years. If you watch agencies, they, they're constantly changing their name. All the time. Yeah. And and it, it's true. And we've we've seen that. I've seen that happen with with a lot of agencies where whether it's they've they've burned their name with the the marketplace and clients or they're now finding it incredibly difficult to hire because words out that this is a crappy company to work for. So what do we do? Well, let's rebrand. Let's change our logo. Let's change our name. Let's see if we can fool them for a few more years so we can put a few more dollars in our pockets so the owner can go kite skiing in the Maldives or something. Yeah. No, I, employees and, are not benefiting from it. I guarantee you that. Yeah, they're suffering. 
Yeah, exactly. You know, so they changed the name. So it's a new name that's approaching somebody. Um, it, it's, you know, they, you, you could tout the years of success, but, you know, you kind of cover up the bad name. And it, it's funny, I thought of a sports parallel to this. Mm. So what is one of the major revenue drivers for leagues? Uh, ticket sales, merchandising. Merchandise. Merchandise. Yeah. Um, watch the leagues and the teams that are constantly changing their jerseys. Mm. This is something I picked up on and I just, you know, do I know it for certain? No, but to me, it's quite freaking obvious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the teams that are constantly introducing a new alternate Jersey, they're, they're, they're changing up, you know, not maybe not the entire color scheme, but you know, they're, they're introducing a new style of Jersey. Um, they're, they're you, you watch those teams that do that. They're the teams that are historically in bad markets. I, I, they're, 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 they're at the lower level Yeah, uh, when it comes to driving you know, revenue. I, I, I think I saw that happen recently with a SaaS vendor who I saw announcing a major rebrand and they're touting their new website and their new logo. And I think they even changed their name slightly. And I'm like, man, these guys are struggling so hard to innovate and sell sell a product that they're just going all in on a rebrand. You know, sometimes it happens with when you're uber successful and stuff, but I, you're right. I mean, when with this company particularly, I'm like, yep, they're struggling to gain traction in the market. So they're like, well, shit, I guess we'll rebrand and see if the that- new logo, new if, name, new color. that drives some attention for a little while here. So, yeah. yeah. But like there, there are a couple sports teams that, I've noticed across multiple leagues and you, you could tell every four to five years they're due for some kind of logo slash color scheme slash Jersey shakeup. Mm-hmm. And what does it do? The hardcore fans like I need that new Jersey. So they go out and they buy a new Jersey. They buy t-shirts with the new colors or the new scheme on it. Yeah. And it, 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 it creates this like infusion of merchandise revenue for those teams. And that's all I can think about with agencies where the ones that are constantly rebranding and there was one agency I was at and the agency rebranded three times over two and a half years. That's uh, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot. And I think I still have like my name cards from, from that agency, like somewhere in my desk here. Well, yeah, I, 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 and I love the, the, the parallel with, with sports teams. Um, I never really thought about it, that, that detail, but you're, you're right. You're, you're absolutely right. So at some point in time, I have to imagine that people catch on to that scheme, but mm. maybe not. Who knows? Well, I mean like, Hey, Hey, listen, I'm a soccer forward too. The team introduces a special event Jersey. Damn, that looks really good. I think I'm going to go buy one. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've I've been guilty of said purchases as well. Like, and I mean, believe me, I know what the teams are doing. Yeah, I know what they're doing, but I still fall for it. Yeah. Yes, I I, uh, I had a I think he's still no he left now he's back. I contacted um, Real Salt Lake, and we were talking about finances of of running a professional soccer team, and we were talking about where it comes from. And he's like, he's like, uh, by far merchandising is number one 
Maybe mm-hmm. if they were in a bigger market, maybe it would be television revenue, ad revenue, but you know, small market, really it's, it's merchandising. Um, and I think the, the conversation came up around, well, what about these, you know, people that come to the game? He's like, unless you're a corporate, you know, sweet season ticket holder, you know, onesie, twosie, you know, seat tickets aren't, we're not making any money on any of that. So, yeah. Yeah. Because that's the thing is they want you in the seats, the, 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 the revenue from tickets. I mean, obviously that goes into the entire mix, but then the right. goal is, is to get you to buy concessions, yeah. buy merchandise, buy this, buy it's that. Merch. But like, that's why like the New York Yankees fund the the lower income teams in major league baseball mm-hmm. with the amount of merchandise that they sell nationwide yeah that there's there's a rev share there on mlb merchandise so the all the the merchandise sales from across all the teams get pulled together and then gets distributed to teams that are in the smaller markets yeah makes sense makes sense well, how do we want to how do we want to wrap up today's episode? Yeah, I, I I don't know. I was thinking that myself because I really didn't plan this. Yeah, this, this was completely this unplanned. This yeah, quiet. completely off the cuff. Yeah. topic. I, I mean, I, I I mean, it's it, it feels like work in general, life in general, and this is not meant to be hyperbolic or be cliche. I've really been thinking about it. It feels like we're at a bit of a crossroads. I agree. Um, people saw during the pandemic that no matter how much big companies or companies in general touted about how much employees were cared for, the minute work for, you know, revenue line, you know, income lines froze up, revenue froze up, people were let go. Like entire departments were nuked. Yeah. Um, and I think that that was the start for many people to say, like, okay, I do, it doesn't matter how much time I give. You know, spending 60 hours a week, the minute revenue dries up, it doesn't matter what I've done, how much time I've put in in the past. It's the, sorry, it's it, it's just business. We, you know, we, need, to, we need to cut costs. Yeah. You know, we need, we need to cut headcount. Again, that dehumanizing language. Yeah. Um, so I think that was the start of it. Um, now not everybody's going to go down this path, but I think people are seeing the opportunity to maybe be able to, to work with a smaller group of people Yeah, and, and be successful. Like you were saying earlier, like what defines a small business? And again, for me, it's, 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 it's number of people. It's, it's the size of the team because you can, you could have, again, a very high end product with a massive profit margin and potentially be generating a lot of revenue, a lot of profit with a small team. Yeah. So yeah. I don't want to look at just that. So you, I think people are starting to realize that, Hey, maybe I can start my, can start my own thing or find a group of people that, you know, we get together and make cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you. It feels like there's definitely a crossroads and I, I, I agree. I think that, um, I'm, I'm hoping people prioritize the value of their, their personal time and not delay whether it's, you know, I want to work on side projects, you know, I want to get into woodworking or learn an instrument or I want to travel. I, I, I think we're going to see that happen more and more. And I hope that companies will find a way to help support that because again, 
it's all work to me. Like, it, you know, if you're doing something that you're passionate about, you know, if you go home at night and let's say Jim was getting into woodworking and you're blowing off stress and it's making you feel better and that's valuable to me as a business owner, but most people don't see it that way. So I would hope that the businesses start to support that um, endeavor. But also I think that we can have all of these business gurus say that, you know, we're going back to the way things were. We're going to work 40 hours a week in the office. This is how we're going to work. They can say that all we want, but the employees are in charge. If the employees don't come back, you're not going to be doing that. And, and we are at this crossroads where employees are interested in better experiences and more meaningful humanistic experiences. And so as a business owner, whether you're a big business or a small business, if you're not being intentional about creating that, you're not going to have a business at least not for very long. You just made me think of something real quick to kind of sidetrack us on our wrap up because you, you were talking earlier about the great resignation and, and that going on. And then I think it was maybe about three, four weeks ago, I saw something where they were talking about people that were part of the great resignation, you know, just, you know, quitting one job and moving on to, to another were incredibly unhappy. There was a large portion of them that are kind of self-reporting as being unhappy with where, where they landed and, you know, talking about people wanting better, you know, work experiences, you know, it, it might be safe to say that people may have learned a lesson as being part of that, where maybe they moved on because, you know, as, as companies saw this increase in demand, as pandemic restrictions were starting to get lifted, all these new jobs popped open, people may have left for money for something else and then realized, okay, maybe money shouldn't be the main driver. You know, I just jump from one place to another. I'm making more money, but I'm no happier. Yeah. No, you bring up a good point. This is probably a whole other conversation. At some point, how much is enough? Like at some point, we make more money than we need. However, if that more money generates autonomy, that's where the conversation should be. So people chase money, but I think what they're really chasing is autonomy. So, you know, I think that that's where people should be thinking is how can I find an environment where I have that freedom? Again, going back to how we started this conversation that if I want to sit out on my patio on Thursday afternoon at work, I can do that. Or if I just want to blow Friday off, I can do that. You know, if you're, if you're just chasing the money, there's always going to be an employer out there that will willing to pay you more. But is that oh, what comes with it? But what, what comes it? with it? Are you, are you being further chained? to the desk and micromanaged, or are you using, using that as an opportunity to create autonomy? That's really, at some point in time, you've got enough money at some point in time, that should be the question that you're asking. Yeah. Agreed. So, cool. Well, so I think that's a good place to, to wrap up for today. Well, it was a fun kind of scheduled yeah. episode. Yeah. Fun, just out of the blue topic because yeah, I think it, it's something that we're going to continue to see. Yeah. Um, we're, we're going to continue to see employees wanting more, um, as far as where they can work, when they can work. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm not going to say the office is dead because there's still those employees that want an office to go to. Um, but it's going to be reimagined. Let's put it yes, that way. That, that, that's, that, that's the way to think of it. Yeah. Cool. So, yep. All right, we'll go ahead and wrap up there and catch everybody later. See ya. See ya.
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.